never show a negativity to that question. So they're like, whoa, that was okay. Yeah. No, that's encouraged. That's what, yeah. that, you know, we should proactively tell the stories about the great ones ask. The great ones are curious. The great ones never stop learning. That's what we want from you. Come to us as much as possible. So they, they believe it. Because I think our young, our youth, are, you know, everyone's scared of looking like, nobody wants to look like they don't know. Welcome to the Never Stop Getting Better podcast powered by Guardian Caps. Guardian Caps are a one-size-fits-all helmet cover that help reduce impact for your players during practice. Coach Perry is a huge proponent of Guardian Caps after using them at Pearl High School, and it was one of the first football items he purchased when taking a job at Nick. Caps are mandated by the NFL for O-line, D-line, linebackers, tight ends, and running backs, and utilized by over 270 colleges, over 3,000 high schools, and over 600 youth programs across the country. As helmets become more and more expensive, the Guardian Caps also do a great job of protecting your helmet investment. See the link in our show notes for more information on Guardian Caps. In each episode, John takes you on a journey of growth, learning, and endless improvement. Whether you're an athlete, coach, or someone simply just striving to get better, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, John Perry. All right. Welcome to the show today, man. I have a spectacular guest. This could be the best one ever, okay? I have one Angus Reed, who is um, a retired Canadian Football League player, played 13 years with the BC Lions, played in 200 professional games, which leaves him in the top five all-times game, games played by a BC Lion. He was a three-time All-Star, a two-time Grey Cup champion, and probably – the most important one to him or to me is a five-time team captain, which is awesome. Angus is now a high school coach that travels North America, speaking to companies, schools, and teams, you know, all over the world. He has two awesome TED Talks out there, which is how I first came to learn of Angus. The first one is why we need high school football. It kind of went viral. I know it's had a couple hundred thousand views and it is, fantastic and one of the things i remember from that which we'll get into it in a minute is you know in football there are 88 starting positions you know and i never thought about that till i heard you say that and it's a lot of truth to that but his other ted talk is um mastering the skill of trust you know which in today's world can be a challenge um he's written a book thank you coach that was an amazon bestseller it's fantastic i have bought my fair share of copies i'm looking at five right now so you know the first let's say the first three people that shoot me a text at 662-582-0804 i will send you a copy of thank you coach um after you listen to this or as soon as you send it to me i'll put one in the mail to you text me your address and just say thank you coach and i'll send it to you it's a fantastic uh book that i've read a couple of times and is actually in the process of writing another book, um, which is, you know, something that we will talk about as we go. Angus, man, thank you for taking the time this morning to uh, be with us. Oh, it, it's an honor, Coach. And I, I will say, what a great world we live in today where we can connect like this and we can get to know each other where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, this this probably would have been impossible. You know, social media gets a lot of uh, hate directed its way. And, you know, rightfully so for some of it. But the flip side of that is, you know, I'm sitting here having a conversation with Angus Reed that, like you said, would have never happened. You know, 25 wow. years ago, this don't happen, you know, or, you know, talking to uh, Dr. Gilbert, you know, on a Saturday morning, getting coached up on a presentation. Like, it never happens, you know, like there are so many 
positives as well. You know, I guess it's like anything. If it's used for good, you know, then there is good. Now, social media is obviously not always used um, for good. Let's start with this. Let's start with, um, let's go back, you know, and, you know, 13 years old. You know, you start feeling bad. You start, you know, hurting. You start, give me, give me the lessons learned, you know, from getting sick at a young age. And, and, you know, I think really sick. I think like, you know, deathbed sick and, you know, what your family meant to you to get through that and what you learned from that at a, at a very early age. Sure. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I come from a, a relatively big family. I'm one of six kids and I got I got four older brothers and a younger sister. So my my real young childhood, I was really lucky. It was a real sports heavy family. So we played whatever school sports were available. And so by the time my older brothers uh, were in high school, they you know they were basketball, football. Some still played soccer. So my upbringing was just going to their games like I was I was the ball boy. I was their little guy. I was just cheering them on gym to field to wherever. And I kind of dreamed of just being like them. And I, I entered high school and yeah, I got really sick. And <laughs> it's kind of kind of silly looking back now. When you got older brothers, you don't want to complain about uh, pain. You feel like you're you're a wimp or something. So I had this yeah. unbelievable pain in my stomach. I don't want to complain about a stomach ache. So uh, my appendix had blown. I didn't tell anyone for like six days. <laughs> like it's insane. And the long result was I ended up, uh, you know, having to rush to emergency. And it was one of those desperation surgeries where, uh, there's nothing to take out at that point. It, it had blown up and they're just, they're just hoping the poison didn't kill me. And we, and I was in the hospital for weeks and kind of, kind of just withering away. And there was a lot of hope. I, I was raised Catholic. I mean, I had my last rites read to me. It was kind of like, wow. well, I'm not going to make it. And uh, I remember being in that, that hospital bed a few weeks in and, uh, you know, I think I'm done. And having my family beside me every single day in the hospital, my, my mom stayed the night shifts with me because she knew how scary that is as a kid. The sure. dead quiet in the hospital and you're just sitting there and you, you don't think you got a chance. And I, I was almost ready to give up myself and I just didn't think I had much fight left, but I can tell you the the strength and love of family that support you and don't let you, don't let you give up on yourself and don't let you believe that things are over and don't let you believe that you know, we can't get through this and we will get through this. And, you know, they were there when uh, when I probably wasn't strong enough for myself. And I think that really laid the foundation for the rest of my life to to one, never, never give up on yourself, never quit yourself and remind yourself how powerful you can be for others that are in that really vulnerable state where they don't think they have it and you can be strength for others. So, you know, it's a longer story than that. But I, I struggled when I came back from school because you know, I didn't have the confidence. I'd lost all this weight. I didn't know where I fit in. I mean, you know, freshman year of high school is a, a a difficult place if you're not the the popular kid or the superstar, Amen. and you're just someone finding your way. And I, I always make this kind of joke when I tell people my story of, of that time, that those first month or two of school, you're trying to figure out where do you fit in. You know, are you an athlete? Are you a smart kid? Do you hang out with the musicians. I was dying in a hospital bed when 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 friend tryouts were happening. Right, like friend tryouts. And I came back to school, although I, I made it through, I, I didn't know where I fit in. And I really didn't know, you know, people were, were, were kind of kind of already had their friends. And I, I was a pretty lost kid. And that's pretty scary because high school is scary enough when you're trying to, trying to navigate where you go, right? Well, let me ask you this. And I'm, I'm kind of being funny. Starting out in the football world, 
Like you started out, you know, from from day one as an all pro football player, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, not even close. No, 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 not even close. Go. I, I was a the first. I mean, look. Be, when I came back, I didn't even come out to football again till till the eleventh grade, and so wow. there was a lot of nothing in between. That my my grade nine year was out of the hospital, and I was really lost kid. Uh, grade ten, I was still lost, and I didn't have confidence at that point to go. Well, now I'm going to go be an all star football player, like like my brothers and other people are. And I didn't think I could do anything. Let me and ask you this. Tremendous... Let me ask you this. Yeah. How, how did you know, like your your you know, say your tenth grade year, and yeah. you had, had brothers who had you know, played and been successful. How was that on you toting that around? Well, first it was really hard because when I was a little kid, I wanted to be like them. But then when, when it didn't work out and I'm in high school now, now I felt like kind of like a failure. Like I'm not good enough in my family. I'll never be like these guys. And then the longer you wait, more that magnifies in your own head right you make your you make your own stories up and if, sure. it, if it starts going down that insecure road it can really really magnify and i did i mean i'm lucky i reached a a, a break point at kind of end, end of 10th grade like i want to do something with my life and it took tremendous courage for me to revisit sports and, and face the maybe i can but you know i didn't have any I didn't have any proof that I could anymore. And I, I really wasn't some natural gifted athlete. And I, for whatever reason, I, I had the courage to kind of, you know, 10th grade, let's, let's go up for spring camp. And, you know, the coaches were always good. And they, I knew the coach knew who I were, but they left me alone. And I came out and that was terrifying to me because what if I suck? You know, what if I suck? And can you handle that when you're already kind of lacking confidence? But, you know, you'll tell anybody, like you said, no one's an all-star day one uh nobody's great at stuff they've never done before but that's hard to make a young person believe that when they already don't have that confidence so you just have to have the courage to go why not let's just go what's the worst thing that's going to happen you're not playing to begin with so if i'm not good well you know and i had nothing else going on so you know i my, my big stress to to our youth is there is no right answer but, but you got to do something like you, you gotta you gotta give things a chance go out and go out and Go test yourself at anything, yeah. whatever's available to you. And football was there, so why, why not? It wasn't like I was doing anything else. So let's give it a shot. You know, what's crazy to me is 13 years, a professional football player, a three-time All-Star, you know, and everything that I read off beforehand, and we're not playing football as a 10th grader. We go out as an 11th grader, and we're kind of – nervous you know right? where do we fit in like, how do i you know how did the rest of your high school career go as far as playing exactly the way uh exactly the way that you would think from someone that wasn't some you know unbelievably gifted athlete i i wasn't very good and and i struggled and it was awkward and it was overwhelming and and you know it wasn't like i walked in and all of a sudden it was like where did he been his whole life i was just another guy and i i laughed at the, they put me at tight end not because I was uh, such a gifted blocker and a gifted receiver. It was, I wasn't good enough to be a receiver and I wasn't good enough to be a lineman. So it put me <laughs> a tight end. It was like, you know, we don't know what to do with you. You're not that big and you're not that athletic. So I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I had the belief that I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this and figure it out. And I, I, I developed the mentality to stop leaning on excuses. Like I came to the game too late. I don't know what's going on and start looking for what can I do? And, you know, I'd ask the coaches for a little extra help on uh, learning, learning what the code of the of the passing tree routes were. Or, you know, I, I started asking the stuff I didn't understand instead of leaning on. I don't have a chance here. 
and I just got to work. And, you know, I said it in my TED talk, I didn't get on the field till like back end of the season, you know, a little bit of special teams. I did the very traditional, you know, a little bit better. And then, and then, and then a struggle, then a little bit better. And you know, by the end of my 11th, grade 11 year, I, I started the last two games of the season. It was a very classic, like a little improvement, a little improvement, sure. gained a little weight, got a little stronger, uh, nothing, nothing that was, uh, you know, unbelievable that or couldn't be done by anyone. And that's the best thing about football. You know, coach, you want to work hard at the details and get better. You can get out there. There, there'll, yep. there'll be a place for you to be effective. And all I needed was that one little, wow, holy cow, I'm getting better here. Let's get more better and let's see where I can help. And it was just that micro improvement again and again and again with encouragement from coaches, uh, you know, once in a while in practice, you'd make a play and be like, whoa, I, I couldn't do that last week. Maybe I can make right. two plays this week. Right. You know, just those little, little, little things that, that kept momentum wanting to go, I'm getting a little bit better here. Let's keep going. You know, two of the things I wrote down as I was taking notes as you was talking was, you know, number one, you owned it. You know, like you owned where you were. Like there was no – you took ownership of – you know, Angus Reed, you know, and then number two, you know, you started asking questions, you know, you started trying to figure out things, you know, how can I be better? And that's two things that, you know, as a high school coach, you know, we try to get our, you know, our, our guys to man own it and ask questions. You know, we had a young man that changed positions, his body changed. He was a center. He changed, you know, his body changed. So as a senior, we've moved him to a tight end slash H position. And we're out there for a couple of weeks, man. And he looks like a chicken with his head cut off, you know, and we finally, you know, stop and have a conversation, you know, instigated by a coach and come to find out he knows nothing, you know, because as an offensive lineman, he's getting his calls from the quarterback. Well, that tight end or H is getting his signal from the sideline. So like he's looking at those signals and it would be like me trying to translate Chinese like he has no clue so he's you know he's in and he never stopped to ask the question hey what does that mean like I don't know the signals you know and our lesson was look don't be scared to ask questions you know that's how you learn is by asking you know like don't assume that somebody's going to get upset because you know the smartest people in the world are the ones that freaking ask questions you know what I'm saying they're not the ones that keep silent all the time you know what I love about that coaches I I think the big word you said there that I am hyper conscious of now is don't assume and don't, and don't assume now that now I'm a coach and, and I'd like to think of myself as leader. Don't assume that they feel confident asking questions because you and I both know the nature of, of, of youth when we were kids too, but maybe more so now is an insecurity of looking silly, looking stupid. Uh, they don't want to be exposed as not knowing. So the worst thing they do is then stop asking and not improving and I think we as leaders need to be hyper aware to do everything we can to give them the confidence to ask questions, to, to tell them we want you to. So they don't worry that they look silly. No, we, we want this. This is what no we're doubt. asking. We're asking you to ask, please. And then and then obviously uh, remind them that they're doing right, because when, when they do ask, never show a negativity to that question. So they're like, whoa, that was okay. Yeah. No, that's encouraged. That's what, yeah. that, and we, you know, we should proactively tell the stories about the great ones ask. The great ones are curious. The great ones never stop learning. That's what we want from you. Come to us as much as possible. So they, they believe it. Cause I think our young, are you, you know, everyone's scared of looking like nobody wants to look like they don't know. And I yeah. think we got to create that environment, right? They, they, and they're afraid of being judged 
you know, by their teammates. So like, if I say the wrong thing, they're going to laugh at me. And, you know, that's something that we do spend time talking about is, and it doesn't matter, you know, like spit it out. There's not a wrong answer, man. Like there might be a better one down the road, but so what, you know, like help us, help us get there. I may jump around a little bit, but I think at this point in time, you know, let's fast forward to the Ted talk, you know, why we need high school football. I think, you know, I think one of the reasons why that took off like it did was you needed high school football, you know, like at the point in time, you you know, why do we need high school football? Guardian caps are lightweight, one size fits all football helmet covers for practice. They reduce 20 to 33% of the impact, depending on the speed and the location. Great for the repetitive sub-concussive blows that add up throughout the week. Also great for body blows. Used by Clemson, Penn State, Washington, Oklahoma, 150 other colleges, and about 2,000 high schools across the country. Also protect that helmet. If your helmets are getting beat up at the end of the year, Guardian caps can help protect that helmet investment. A lot, lot of different reasons. I, I think, you know, the the obvious reason that is probably the least important is for that unbelievable athlete to showcase their talents because that unbelievable athlete will probably have every opportunity to showcase their talent. And if you're the sure. best athlete in school, probably play any sport you want. It, I mean, it, it's great. It's amazing to watch people excel at things they're naturally good at, but they're going to have options no matter what. Sure. My, the premise of my talk was almost the opposite of, of, of where things are going today. It's not to produce professional athletes. and that, That'll happen. My big premise was it's for it's it's for the kids that need something that don't have the confidence right now that don't think they fit in. And, you know, basketball is going to only keep 12 and those are going to be the elite athletes. You know, in, in Canada, Ryan, hockey is going to only keep the people because it's not a high school sport that can finance it, that can fund it, that have a sure. lot of money that, that that that's that's a that's a small subsection of your of your people. Uh, you know, most of these sports have base level requirements that if you don't have this or the finances, you're out of luck by the time you're 10 years old or something where, you know, f- high school football by its very nature wants a, as many people as possible. Right. And and by the very uh, uh, by the very a range of, of, of needs on the field, you can pretty much find something for any body type, any ability to not sure. just not just hang out, but may, maybe be effective, maybe, maybe be helpful to us. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer in every, everybody in this world needs to know they belong. If you don't feel you belong, you have anxiety for the rest of your life, right? You're lost. And and here's the thing, coach, as we know, and talk about participation medals and all stuff, belonging doesn't just mean, yeah, you're allowed to hang out with us. No, it means you matter. You're valuable. You're important. And us as coaches can do that. It's not like, well, you're on the team. Yeah, but everyone's on the team. No, you have a specific you are you you are helping us you are valuable to us now you can as coaches we can do that by 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 really showering them praise while they're on the scout unit i mean you are you are helping us win the game we we're so grateful you're doing this but as i said in the talk 88 starting positions i got on kickoff first time right that i I matter i i got a role on this team that is important and and my my role is emphasized and showcased and highlighted when i did well so I don't know any other sport that has that many opportunities, not just to be on a team, but to help a team win and, and realize that you are part of something and, and and you can make automatic now friends that are deeper than just, yeah, he went to class with me. No, we did stuff together. We went to practice every single day together and we all ran the conditioning and we all did the extra reps. So I know you, you're a guy like me and I, I and you're good with me. And, you know, that's really hard by the time you hit 10th grade 
to just make organic friendships out of nothing. It's sure. really hard, right? But you go to practice every day and there's things that you're doing that are difficult together. You're celebrating together. You're struggling together. That's a relationship that's really hard to build any other way. So whether you play ever again or not, it doesn't matter. One, you realize you can do something. You're a part of something that matters and you build friendships that you and I know will probably sustain a long time afterwards based on real things. Not just we like to watch the same TV shows or played video games sure. together. We did something real. And that that's 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 getting harder and harder to find in our world. And that's where, you know, my big argument, particularly in the public school system, is I get it. Football has a has a cost has a high cost, a high uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, of overhead to keep it going. But what happens if you don't? What are we leaving that 85, 90% of our kids that don't have other options and outlets? What are we doing? How are we supporting them? This is the easiest outlet to support our young boys in something that's already here. Let's just make sure it's it's always here and as and as and as healthy as possible, so our kids that don't have anywhere else to go can have a good outlet to be a part of something and, and realize they can do something positive with their time. And you know, in a in a school building, the ones that I have the most concern over are the ones that do not belong to anything. You know, like they don't, they don't, you know, and, and like you said, you're going to get cut possibly from every other sport in the world. But football is the one sport that if you will come out and you will show up and you will do the work, you're going to be a part of the team. And I, I firmly believe that if you do that over the course of your high school career, by the time you're a senior, there's something you can do even on the field. You know, like, I don't think, I don't think you have to be on the field to be a contributor. I think the 92nd best player receives the same thing from the sport as the star does. And I often tell our kids this, you know, the guy that has a 42 inch vertical in high school, he's at an advantage when it comes to playing high school football, but when they both graduate from high school and, you know, graduate from college, whether one plays football and one don't at the age of 23, um, that vertical ain't gonna matter a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, the traits and the things that they took from football is the same. The hard yeah. work, the dedication, the belonging, the, you know, and I think this, we, like you said, like belonging to a group is something that God created us, first of all, to live in community. And then as we age, I still try to find it. You know, the mastermind group that, you know, we have been in, that's a group that I want to belong to, you know, like now we have a, a uh, mental performance uh, training group that me and a, a partner take, you know, like it's a group that we belong to. And I think when you don't belong to something, you know, life is a challenge. And that's, that is the greatest thing about football to me. Yeah. Well, we're hardwired to want to be part of a tribe. We, we, no doubt. We, are, we are terrified to be isolated in this world. And you look at mental health and anxiety and whatnot, not that this is a cure-all, but belonging and actually knowing people value you and care about you and 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 not just once a month like every day we're we're getting out there together and we high five each other and we celebrate each other and we console each other and and, and you know we we need each other I, I, you know you you matter and to matter you look at the young kids that are lost and the adults that are lost they don't know where they fit in and they don't know if they even matter and you talked earlier about like the 42 inch vertical leap all i care about is what are we what are we helping our youth with that are transferable 
right? And like you said, you know, the four five forty, that's great. But when you're 40 years old, it doesn't matter to anything. But, you know, you understood to show up every day, bring your very best, try to make people around you better, um, you know, strive to 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 accomplish your task, knowing you'll fall short from time to time. And that's OK. Learning, asking questions, getting back on your feet tomorrow, showing up tomorrow, doing it again. I don't know an employer in the world that's not looking for like begging for that person. Like yeah. that is becoming, I tell people all the time, you'll become rare. And, and it's crazy because those are things that are available to anyone, but I believe they have to be now taught. And football gives you an environment where a good coach that, that rewards that and praises that kids go, really, this matters. I thought I had to be super fast or big. That's fine. But this is what matters. Show up every day, bring your best, hunker down, keep coming back then, you know, you can now go do whatever you want in this world because that's what, that's the only thing that really matters. The rest is learn. The rest you learn. That's easy if you show up every day, but if you don't, good luck. Yeah. You got to teach that. And is, you know, you can be a, a professional football player for 13 years and at 35 years old, you're still going to spend the majority of your life without it than you did with it. You know, like you're still going to need the behavior skills that you learn through the sport to be successful in life, because, you know, you're, you're one of, you know, you're probably in the percentage of 1%. Okay. I was, I was talking to a young man the other day that's playing tight end for the Chicago bears. And, you know, he was talking about the average length of a professional career career is probably well under three years. Yes, you know, yes. you think you played for 13, like you're in a very, very, very small group. The majority of people, are going to go pro in life no matter what, you know, and that's, yeah. that's what football teaches, you know, to me. And that's what we are. And I'm sure you are right now, you know, on the high school level, transferable skills. That's all I care about. That's all I care about. A father, a husband, you know, a business owner or the best employee in the world. Like that is what it's about. And, and, and quite honestly, I think one of the biggest failures that I saw growing up and, and I'm hyper-conscious now as a coach is, the young, young, uh, the young athletes that are super athletic and super gifted, I'm much harder on them than letting them slide because they can, because I am now doing them a disservice because no we, we know those stories that they got by on their athletic ability. Nobody pushed them, no one challenged them to anything. And then when it ended for them, whether it was one day, 10 years, whatever, all that stuff doesn't go anywhere. They're physical superior gifts because now they got to be someone that shows up, hunkers down, and they don't know how. And that's our that's the coach's fault. Yep. Because we didn't teach them when we had a chance. And so, you know, it's one thing to be gifted, but a good coach has to realize, I got to get ready for life no matter what you got. And it's all going to be the same in the end. So, yeah, you can slide in the stroke because you're better than these guys, but that's not helping you. My no. job is to get you ready for life, and I'm using football to do it. No doubt. I mean, I have seen in my time so many collegiate football players that were, you know, high-level collegiate football players, but – no level pro because I mean, that's a totally different level. And that in between time, like from the time they get through playing football before they start some type of career, they fall into trouble. You know, they fall yes. into things because they have been allowed to, you know, escape the same standards that everybody else has had because of their ability. And it is a disservice, you know, like yes. you do kids a disservice. And I've been there. I've been that guy, you know, that, that yeah. let them slide because, you know, they were special or they were, you know, we can't, no longer, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, now that's good on great football teams, your greatest players, most talented players have to also be your hardest workers, you know, to be great. You know, like you're not going to be great with a kid 
sliding out of practice, you know, because he's talented and not, you know, like that, man, I've seen that. That don't work. Okay. All right. Let's go back. We get out of high school, you know, give me your college, uh, ah. college playing career, how that went. Go, how that, coach, you, know, you don't even know this story. So it gets crazier. So I, I was, uh, I wasn't a blue chip recruit. I wasn't even like the best player on my high school sure. team. We're, we're Canadian boys, got a Catholic boys school. We were a powerhouse in our area, but we're Canadian school. Right. So, you know, we had one of our kids sign down to Eastern Washington, sign down to the U.S. He was running back, not me. And uh, two of three of us went to the local school, Simon Fraser University. We're the only Canadian school in the U.S. league. So they played Division II football. So I went local, um, you know, redshirted my first year. But they brought me as a nose guard, as a D lineman. And right. I played both ways in high school. And then they they moved me on my redshirt freshman year. And I ended up starting a right guard. I'm like 265. This is nine, 1995, undersized. But I, I'm like, wow, I, I might be a player here. People, most people don't know the story that didn't grow up around me. I end up then coach missing three straight years of college football after that. I sat, I was told never play football again. So because my appendix had blown years ago and my, a lot of my internal organs were really damaged in, in college football, I tell people, what do you want to do when you, when you want to get to 300 pounds? You just eat everything. And I was eating like 9,000 calories a day, like unbelievable. And my stomach just blew out and I ended up having these ulcers. I thought I had ulcerative colitis. I was internal. I couldn't digest food. My body shut down. Very long story short, I had to leave the team. I quit school for a year. I was home. I went to a deep depression because now you know, I'd made it. Dreams are shot. Uh, took me a really long time, but I'm so determined. I, I went through all these natural past dietitians, you name it. Uh, and I fought my way back. And I, I didn't even know I had eligibility left. I came back, built myself up 290. I got up 300 pounds again. I, and I came back for my senior year. Paid back my senior year. That was wow. my whole college experience. Wow. And then I get drafted pro. And and that was I was an all I was an all-American on a team. I was an I was sorry, we were NAI my year there. I was an AI all-American on a team. We won one game. I played center. I was NAI All-American that year. And uh I ended up getting drafted in, in the CFL, which was crazy because I'd only really played two two and sure. a half seasons of college football. You know, to me, I remember thinking uh wow like what a dream story i am and here's here's the craziest part i get drafted by the toronto argonauts canadian football league they take me with their fourth pick overall in the draft i'm a number one draft pick and i'm wow. the shortest line in the draft i'm barely six foot one 300 pounds strong like center but undersized still and i'm the number one pick and i'm like hometown kid did a great what a story what an amazing story it gets better i might be the only number one pro draft pick in all of sports I got draft. I got cut in training camp. They cut me. Wow. I wasn't traded. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. And, and I look back now and I'm like, I did well on my testing. I bench pressed, you know, 32 times, 225. I ran fast at all stuff. But I was raw. I, I barely played football in high school. Sure. I barely played in college. And I, I, I wowed these guys because I was probably good in an interview. I was too short. I was so green. It wasn't even funny at the pro level. I'm getting, I'm just not ready at that level. And they cut me. And I'll never forget the emotional, like, you talk about emotions. I'm like, sure. draft number one, cut in training camp. What a what an embarrassment I am. And i never forget, I called home in, in Toronto. I said to my parents, I go, looks like I'm not good enough to play. And my dad said to me, he goes, what do you say? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, they cut you. What do you say? You think you can play? I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, well, then what can you do? And remember, you can go 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 get drunk tonight and get mad and angry, or you can do what you can do and call my agent. We started calling teams, and uh, the Mont we basically begged the Montreal Alouettes to put me on their practice roster. And I remember I go, I'm going to show up, and 
I made a decision. I'll be first guy to the facility every morning, last guy to leave, and I will be asking questions of every veteran, every coach. I'm just here purely to get better. And I was there for 15 weeks. They were good to me. The vets were good to me. I was just that young kid, just hungry, sponge, whatever it takes. I'll do all the extra reps after practice, whatever, watch film with the vets. I became a sponge. <laughs> Week 15, they called me in. And they traded me. I'm like, I don't even know you can get traded off practice roster. I didn't know that could happen, but like, whatever. They traded me home to my hometown team, the BC Lions, who also put me on practice roster. So I finished my first year pro coach being on three teams and never making an active roster. Wow. You talk about like, 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 like confidence yeah. shocker. I'm like, maybe I can't make it. But my whole life had always been kind of don't, was never the star. I, I, I always had to just fight and prove. And yep. so you're in it now. You just, you just learn. You do what you gotta do to keep to keep your dream alive, and whatever that means. And there's no ego and pride. There's just work. There's just what it, what it's gonna take, and and find out what that is, and don't guess, and then just get busy doing it. Well, that's gonna lead us to, you know, in a roundabout way, the book. Thank you, Coach. I think it's with the BC Lions where you you know run into Coach Dan, yeah. and life does eventually change as far as the player aspect and as far as far as getting to play you know what about the influence of coach dan on your not only on football but on your life oh, i mean it was everything so you know he hit i entered i, I was introduced to dan at, at, at one of those crossing points where i didn't think i was going to make a career out of this like that i led up to what had happened we had a whole new coaching staff change with the lions then and I remember when New York is new, new GM head coach brought his staff. I'm like, I'm going to get cut. Like they're going to look at the, the assets on the team. And I have no film. I'm under, I'm too short. I don't have credibility. They're going to be like, who's this kid. And I thought when I met Dan, they were just going to tell me, thanks for coming out, but we're going in a different direction. I was ready to be done. I'm like, I'll never make the team. And it, from the day I met him, all he cared about was what did I want? Did I want to play football? How good did I want to become? You know, ask me that. And, and I knew from day one, he was different than some coach I'd been around who, you know, they already knew everything about you and they judged you by how you looked. All Dan cared about was, I'm going to coach you. How good do you want to be? And let's go find out what we can do here. Um, he gave me confidence to realize nothing is guaranteed. There is no promises that he can ensure that I'll be, uh, I'll make this team be an all-star. But every moment together wasn't about reminding me I wasn't good enough. It was about working to find out how good we I could become. That was all that mattered. All he cared about. And I'll never forget this years later, coach. I asked Dan my last couple of years, you know, Dan, what's advice when you're, when you're, you know, when I became a coach, what's my advice when we're having a tough time with a player or things going really well, or their egos getting bigger or their, or the conference rattled. His answer to everything was always the same. Coach them. Things are going bad. Coach them. Things are going good. Coach them. You know, uh, they're getting a big ego. Coach them. They're getting rattled with the confidence. Coach them. And all Dan ever did was coach me to help me get better every single mm. second. No judgment, no arrogance, no no looking down on me with my issues. Coach me, coach me. And this was a big thing that he taught me. And I'll share this now. It's a huge insight I do with my business leaders. He goes, look, Angus, I believe everybody is trying their best. So if you're trying your best, which I hope you are, you're playing football, why wouldn't you be out here? If you're not trying your best, then my job is to just help you get better, not to not to blame you because you're trying your best. If you're trying your best, it's not your fault. And here's a, here's a paradigm shift for coaches. It's like every time there was an issue out there, my number one job is to find out 
where have I failed you as, as your coach? Not where have you screwed up because you're trying your best. So if, if you're not getting it or you're doing something wrong, I haven't coached you well enough. I, my job is to make sure you understand what you need to do and, and know what to do. You just do it. And so if there's issues, I got to improve my coaching. That freed me from like guilt and shame and embarrassment and beating myself down. I got a coach who, who's just going to keep coaching me. So just keep working. Just keep right, getting better. Right. Which, Time you know, out. You, yeah. Time out. Yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me rehash this because yeah. I think that is one of the better things I've ever heard. Number <laughs> one, he went under the understanding. Like his understood was you are doing your best. So he would, he would err on that. He would err on the, the assumption. We, he would err on the assumption that people are trying their best. And if he's wrong, he goes, I'll, I'll take that every time. I want to think people are trying their best. People are trying to screw up. People don't want to suck. No, people don't want to suck. Okay. So we go under the understanding that you're doing your best. All right. Now my job as the coach is to help you get better. So I'm taking ownership of my job. My role is to help you be better. You're already under the assumption that you're doing your best. So, you know, if something's not, if you're not getting what you want, then I need to be a better coach. I need to right. improve my coaching to right. help you. I think that is absolutely right. awesome. Correct. And so I tell people, even business leaders now, I'm like, paradigm shift for you. You're gonna you're gonna blame your employee. You haven't coached them well enough. And again, you want you you need to exhaust that to the point that go, this person obviously just doesn't want to do this. But you gotta err on the side of you brought them in. Most people don't want to wake up every day and be terrible at what they do. No doubt. Most people want to be good. So you're the coach, you're the leader. Coach them, coach them. If they're struggling, coach them better. And, and then that's where when there was issues on the field, you never lead with, why did you do that? Because you're blaming me like I wanted to screw up. Your job is to mine for information in, in, a, in, a, in a safe environment to learn where was the issue that I now realize I have not coached that one off because you thought that's what you're supposed to do or you thought this was this way. I have screwed up. And you want to get to that place without belittling them because they're trying their best. And I think if you do that as a coach, you have players that are, are open to you with everything because they're, you're never blaming or judging. You're learning from them how you can get better as a coach always. And that was, you know, what Dan taught me, that that selfishness, that act of service. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to have another a, a player actually believe my coach is never going to blame me. He's never the only time he'll ever blame me is if I'm literally being lazy out there. And that becomes obvious when you know there is a gap where, you know, I just have not that then that's a different level. Right. But for the most part, especially when you're a pro, but you better be trying your best here. So as a coach, I need to look at where can I coach you better? Because there's an issue here. I've I have failed you. And that was unbelievable to free me to just keep bringing it, bring everything without that fear and guarding. Because, you know, as long as you're feared and scared, you'll never bring your best. If you're scared, you're going to screw up and get blamed. Sure. Well, hey, think about this. Now that you have been on this side of it, as far as coaching high school sports, high school football, how often do you see coaches who yell and scream at the player, you know, because they messed up? All day long. It, 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 it angers me. And this is where I have now made it my like mission to be so aware of what I'm doing. So I will, I, I don't want my players, the players I coach, to ever compete out of fear. I want them to compete out of confidence, right? And to know I am only here to support. There is no negative judgment on you. 
as long as you're out here trying your best, and I'm always going to err on that assumption. All like, I mean, I'll give you one example. And co some coaches will think I'm crazy, but I don't care. So, you know, what's one of the most competitive drills you can do in practice? One-on-one -on -one pass rush, right? Let's say I coach all sure. So one-on-ones, -on -ones, right? And I know these kids are terrified of losing the one-on-one -on -one rep. They're terrified, right? And I know that. But I also know if, if they're going to compete out of that mindset, they're probably not going to do their technique very well. They just don't want to lose. They just right. don't want to lose, right? Sure. So they're not going to get better. And so I don't want them to compete out of fear. So I, 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 I remove that from them. And people might think I'm crazy, but I'm like, listen, as an online, I tell them all I care about is what is your plan for this set? What 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 what's the plan here? Work your plan. Yeah, you win, you lose. That's irrelevant. Do what you're planning to do. We'll correct, and then we, we'll coach corrections. But if, if you don't do that, you just go try to win. You're not getting better. You're just trying not to lose, and that's not a good way to improve. And you're not you're not setting past setting out of confidence. You're past setting out of fear. And so you're not gonna you're not gonna be confidently working on what we've worked on. So I tell them, look, you know, you you want to do a jump set, a short set have your plan work it if you beat you beat you we'll, we'll figure out how to improve what you were trying to do that's all i care about and it's free these guys to just like probably bring their best they lose that's okay no, no one cares if you won are you getting better and that to me has always been work your plan and we'll correct as we go and and i'll and that's all we care about go out there and do what you're supposed to do i will never blame you for losing a rep we want to learn how can i help you get better what you sure. tried to do out there and that's been big, big goal for me. Don't right. ever yell at a player. I don't ever yell at a player. Dan wouldn't even, at the pro level coach, I scroll, play 99% of pro coaches. What the hell are you doing out there? Right. Dan would pull me off. Dan, this is a beautiful what he'd do. Never leave with why. He'd start with Angus. Walk me through what you saw out there. Or what, 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 did, what did you see out there? Gave me the narrative. So he could sit and learn now. Uh, coach linebacker was over here. Came with you. So you called that. Okay. So I called Rocco out. And he's sitting there going, oh, you thought you were supposed to do that. He wouldn't say anything. Hey, what if we move the backer in a little bit? Then I'd pop R. And he'd wait. I'd go, I should pop R on that one. He goes, yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. What was the benefit of screaming and yelling at me? Now I'm just terrified of screaming up again. I now learned. He learned where he needs to improve his coaching so that doesn't happen next time. And we go out and play more football. He was a teacher. You know, like he he was a, a brilliant teacher. Uh, John Wooden always claimed, you know, he never claimed he was a coach. He claimed he was a teacher, you know, and I, what I want to unpack from what you just said, because I have lived that, you know, like I was that guy that went out there and coached really hard. And then when the quarterback threw an interception, I dog cussed him. I humiliated him because, and it wasn't, I wasn't doing that out of, uh, you know, trying to be a bully necessarily, but I was, but I was so mad or upset because I felt like we had practiced so much that he shouldn't do it. Okay. But he turns around and goes back out there as a worse football player. So transition to now, you know, a kid makes a mistake and I have learned, you know, like I had to learn the hard way. Now my first question is like, what did you see? You know, like I don't want to send that. I want that dude to be confident. I don't want that dude to be scared about failing. I don't want that dude to be scared about, you know, because at the end of the day, Let's be honest. If me and you go out and play tennis today, all right, my guess is, just from looking at you and looking at me, you're probably going to top me. You may. But if I go out there and give everything I've got and I give all the effort I've got and I put the best into it and you beat me, I'm going to walk away okay. Like, I'm okay with that. We're not going to determine the actual outcome on that scoreboard. But what we are going to determine is what type of kid goes out there and takes that field. And for years, 
I sent kids out there that were afraid to make a mistake, right. you know, yeah. and that no longer is the case. Like now, and it is, that's common in high school football. It's common. Common everywhere. It's common Many everywhere. People. It's, it's, it's common I don't know. Across it's our horrible. society. It's common across our society. Well, you know, we, we want to blame you for, for, for pissing me off. And this is the thing you, we coached with them. We let our emotions dictate our coaching which is totally wrong no doubt because our emotions are childish right now i'm angry at what you've done so i'm gonna now lead with that instead of coaching you and coaching has nothing to do with emotions it's about figuring out problem solving and, and what is the problem and as i said before you know I, this is my big line when i work with coach when i work with leaders in business always attack the problem never attack the person and very 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 rarely is the person the problem there was an issue that happened. And once you look at that, it becomes objective. Now there's no anger towards anybody. There's be a coach, find out what the problem is so we can help them get better at solving that problem. There is no emotions to that. There's coaching, there's learning, there's curiosity, curiosity. It's hard to be curious and angry. You're mm -hmm. curious. That's the what's going on. Walk me through what you saw. You know, tell me, tell me what was going on out there. I'm curious. I'm not angry because if I'm angry, I have to be angry at somebody. And I, you don't want your kids to know you're angry at them. All they know now is uh, now I don't. Nobody wants to someone mad at them, particularly as a boss. Now they're gonna be scared. So all I'm gonna do is probably not tell you the truth because I don't want to unpack things with you when you're mad at me, and I'm gonna be terrified of trying my best next time. All I want to do is help you solve the problem. I'm not mad at you. I'm not even mad. I'm curious so we can get better. And that's that takes a really mature person to to shelf your emotions. Who cares what you feel about this? That's irrelevant. And in fact, it's almost always negative to it because even when, even when they do something great and you celebrate, which is, which is really, really wonderful. We all also have to be careful to, to not just celebrate the outcome, but make sure we're very specific on celebrating the process they did. Because oh, as we know too, I tell this, I tell this to dads all the time or parents. I'm like, be really careful taking Johnny off for ice cream after they won the game and that they're not taking it when they don't win the game because they're thinking mommy and daddy love me when I win. So all I have to do is win. Winning is what matters. You got to unpack what you're proud of, the process, how they played. Because you know Johnny scored three goals in hockey. You get the ice cream. He doesn't. He doesn't get them. I better keep scoring. That's when kids learn to cheat, to lie, to steal. Because mommy and daddy love me when I win. It doesn't matter how. I just got to win. Right. That's why even when you score the touchdown, you got to praise the guy that blocked the three reads the quarterback made, the last cut. It's like that's why it worked. Okay, I'm gonna keep doing that. I said it. You scored. Great job. Why? Who cares how you score? Just keep scoring. And coaches have done that for years, right? We don't care how. So the coach, so the kids learn. Nobody cares about what I do. I just got no to make it happen. Those, no those lead to bad things. Well, you just defined in a roundabout way the growth mindset, right? You know, like reward the behavior and the process, right. you know, not the outcome, um, good or bad. Um, one of the things that I wish we could bottle and sell and put in every coach's back pocket is – you know, swap anger for curiosity, swap being emotional for being curious about how to help that player. Because I heard Urban Meyer one time say this, and, you know, I don't know if that's popular now or not with the way his last job ended, but he did make this statement. The louder a coach screams, the more he is informing everyone around him. He has no clue what he's doing. You know, like when you lose your cool and – you know, this happened at practice the other day. A coach got upset because somebody blew a, you know, a, an assignment. You know, 
it, it, it's not changing the player. Like it's not, you're not correcting. Like all you're doing is, you know, showing your lack of stability and your emotions. Like you're not helping the person fulfill the job down the road, you know, instead of being curious. And I, you know, I guess what I would bottle and sell is ask questions, you know, like instead of, instead of making a statement that is negative or, you know, dirty or ugly or abusive or uh, in a blaming manner, like ask a question, you know, like somehow phrase that in a question and try to help somebody instead of tear them down. So I've said that from, from day one, drop your statements, always bring a question. And because statements, statements are not conversations anyway. As soon as you make a statement, I didn't ask you anything. So I don't want your input anyway. So one, I'm all knowing and I already know the answer. So why were you having a conversation? Right. So two things I try my best to, with with players lead with care and lead with curiosity care about the player and be curious how you can help them you do that uh it's pretty hard to be angry because you're too busy caring about the person and being curious care about the person curious how how i can help you keep coaching them keep no coaching them. do your job right keep coaching them your job is not to be angry your job is to help and and anger has never helped anything no and and you know that people sometimes confuse that with i can't coach a kid hard two totally different oh, totally different totally two different. totally different things i mean totally different. Dan, dan was the hardest coach i ever had in my life and i you know that what's the age old saying nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care sure the second my second the players know all i want to do is help you become great and then every word you choose is about supporting them to becoming great you can drill down and then I'll give you another John Wooden line that is kind of a, it was a throwaway in one of his books I was reading and they were talking about his pyramid of success. And for years he had the line, uh, he wanted players that were willing to do whatever it takes. And that word willing really bothered him for years because it seemed like begrudgingly, like I will do this until I'm willing to do it until I don't have to. He changed the word. He wanted players that were eager to do mm. whatever it takes. And, and I love that because when you look at a player, if you create an environment where they want to be their best is different than they're willing to be their best because they want to get paid or they want the praise or they don't want to get yelled at. So I will do this work. No, I want to. And then you get coaches going, coach, coach me, coach me more. I need more. Like then you become that Tom Brady where the quarterback coach of the Patriots said he was terrified of me as Tom Brady because he'd be on him to keep coaching him. Yes. He wanted it. He wasn't like, oh, I'll do it. I'll take the coaching. And if you create environments where players know all I care about, helping you find out how good you can really become and they're like they're they, they, they finish right they look and you go coach what can i do better oh okay well let's get after it instead of oh he's gonna tell me what i can do better you want the players loving your feedback loving it because they know you care about them and you're curious about their improvement and you know then you can then you can drill down and be as, as hard as you want on their improvement because not being hard on them that's different yeah no doubt about it you know one of the you know, probably one of the best compliments that I've had, you know, my first year here, one of the coaches that was here previously asked, what's the biggest difference? And the response was the kids aren't scared to fail. You know, like they're not going to be attacked. They're not going to be, you know, like, and that's, man, that's freeing as an individual. And okay. Think about this. Does it really matter? You know, like, and, and I know you talk to a lot of businesses and stuff, you know, don't you think that Nick Saban could probably walk into the majority of businesses in this world and run them 
as well as anybody else in the world? I, I believe so. Yes. I mean, leadership is leadership, right? And leadership is getting people to one buy into the concept of, of what we're trying to do here. But I think much more so believing in their own ability to become something greater than they, than they, than they could have without you. You know, it's to help someone realize what they're possible. You can't do it for them, right. but you can free them and create that environment where they are hungry to find out their own excellence. And, and they belong, right? We talked about, you make sure they know they belong. They matter and we need you. And we just want you to be your best and we're going to help you become your very best. And then they're begging for you to coach them more. Right? Yeah. When you create that, I mean, like we said, most people don't want to suck. And I want A players around me, the ones that go, I want to find out how good I can be. Okay, let's help you get there. And and we're not going to yell and judge or scream. As long as you're trying your hardest and working your butt off, all we're going to do is keep coaching you and 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 and, and praising praising uh the process that you're in doing and, and and you know you you find out anyone that wants to become great coach them keep them around keep praising that because as you said football win for all of us but they're going to go in this world and they're going to be our leaders tomorrow and, and i want people that aren't afraid to find out how great they can be not ones that are scared and want to just you know live life i wouldn't have what did urban meyer say before too it's a it's so easy to be average. Or, you know, we we don't need more average in this world. We don't. We, we we're not. We don't need more average. We're we're not looking for more average. And 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 most people or everybody, I think, has greatness in them. They just have to be freed and have people believe in them. That go for it. Like, let's go. We're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna coach, correct, and and, and improve. Just you gotta go. You gotta be not be scared. To find out who you really are. Give it a shot. And football taught me that years ago and that's the greatest transferable skill i learned through this sport from coach i had great high school coaches uh, great people i was around where you know you have no idea what you can become until you take that take that risk and then keep taking that risk and, and so how can we ever yell at someone for taking that risk for trying to find out what they can do yeah shame on us shame on us and you know the lessons learned in the last 15 minutes you know like this is the words that I've written down on my on my notes. These are the things we've talked about. So it doesn't matter if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a business owner, if you're an employee, if you're, these are the words, service, selflessness, awareness, support, plan, process, um, you know, attack the problem, not the person, curious, care, uh, you know, like it, those things no matter what, you know, what you're in are going to make a person more successful than other people. Because like you said, urban, you know, like there, there's plenty of average out there, you know, like we, we live in the world of average. We talk to our guys about it all the time. Like, you know, you want to blame somebody else, go ahead. That's what everybody else does too. You know, like you want to holler and scream and show that, you know, like you're go ahead, you know, like we live in that world, you know, but if you want to be, the very best person you can be for other people, you know, you're going to do things like we're talking about right here, you know? And I think that's one reason why you've become such a big hit in the speaking world is because it's not normal. Like that's not normal, you know, like that's, but, it, but, 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 but it's also, it's also not reserved for a special unique human being. It, the, that, that's the sad part is it's available amen. to every single one of us. It's available. It's not, it's not a 42 inch vertical leap. It's not a four or five 40. It's not a 450 pound bench press that, you know, 
uh, you had to be lucky enough to have a genetic makeup to have this. Those are choices. And those are choices. Again, though, some of us were lucky enough to have been taught that, but we all reach a point where we are mature enough and accountable to make a decision to want to become that or not. It's available to everyone. I want to make the point, you know, as, as we narrow down, I want to make the point that this don't mean soft. You know, I want you to give me a couple of examples because coach Dan was tough and there's one, you know, I can't remember the exact example because it's been a while since I read your book, but you know, there was uh, 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 a drill that included jumping on a box or oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Know, like, give me – like, I don't want people to be confused. We're not talking oh, about no. soft. You know, we're talking oh, no, about no. tough. He was the tough, toughest know. man I've ever been around. And, again, though, it was it was, it was was demanding. Once – here, here's – let's back up for one second because what was the – I think it was a long time. We talk all the time. Coach Jackson, we always talk about the masterminds. The definition of a coach is someone that takes you somewhere you want to go that – that you can't get there alone or without sure. them. So that's why I think rule number one, I'll, I will tell you this about Dan. I heard him on a, a podcast with the USA football podcast. I think it was our coach's corner, one of those ones. And they asked him, what is the number one trait you're looking for in an offensive lineman? And a lot of people say like, you know, IQ or speed or Hannah. He goes, number one, do you want to play football? Do you love football? Do you love it? Because other than that, it's irrelevant. And again, taking someone where they want to go. Because it's one thing to take King go, you should be doing this, but they don't want to, then they got to find something else. So sure. you know, Dan was coached me hard because he, he knew, and he'd asked me in a conversation, this is what I want to do. Okay. Then this is what we got to do. And so he, what was required was not just required to tick a box at, it was required to doing to the very best of my ability every single time. And his job was to create an environment where I felt confident enough to be pushed by him to find my very best or else he would be shortchanging me and I'd never find out how good I could be because I had decided and told him, this is what I want to do. So he accepted his role saying, I'm going to help you get somewhere then because I know what's needed and you want it. So we're going to do it and not just do it average or tick the box saying, yeah, we got the workout in today. No, no. If we're going to do this, everything we do will have reason and purpose and you We'll, we'll have to bring your very best. And my job is to coach every aspect of that to make sure I don't let you slide on any of it knowingly or unknowingly. So he, you know, everything you do, if it matters, if it doesn't matter why you're doing it. If it matters, your job as a coach, do not let them do a one inch or one, uh, uh, you know, one onus less than what is possible. And, and we're always testing and pushing what's possible by me. Cause that's your job. And it, you know, it's really hard and you're, raising when you do it right and you're showcasing it and you're supporting when you're not you're not letting me shortchange myself that's really really hard coaching because you care enough about helping me get to where i've i want to go all right that's awesome absolutely awesome and i and you know from reading that book i knew that like i knew you know he was tough but he was unbelievably tough tough. you want relentless relentless you you loved it and wanted it and wanted to be because i wanted it that is what we as coaches want right all right a couple of last questions that you know uh number one what do you do on a daily basis you know whether it's you know what are some habits or routines or disciplines or you know to continue yourself to get better like what do you do to get better so i'm naturally always have been an early riser now i'm like you know i'm a if i sleep till five i'm happy i i'm I'm antsy so i get up super like a two young boys seven and four so i I got a gym in my garage so i'll get up really early 
um, I, I'll, I'll read. I'll read for about 20 minutes or half hour, something challenging, whether it be uh, stoic philosophy or leadership. And I, I don't care. And, and now I'm getting to the point where I don't like reading echo chamber stuff that I already know. I want to read something that's going to make me go, hmm, what, what, wait a minute. I want, yeah. I want to read some challenging, uh, you know, I'm like you, I'm a big reader every day. I'm reading every day, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, have morning coffee, reading something that's going to make me have to think, think yeah. through my challenge a bit. Then I go to my, I have a garage gym. I get my workout in. I got to do that or else, you know, 13 surgeries in my career. I'm the, people say, how am I disciplined to work all the time? If I don't, I feel terrible. I, I, I got to get a lift in. A lot of times the high, some of the high school kids that I coach want to come by before school, get an extra lift in with me. So I model, model training hard with them. I get to build an environment. My young boys wake up. They watch me work out with some of the high school kids, which to me is a nice sneaky way to create that culture when they're young going, this is awesome. This is great. And they look up to the high school kids and those high school kids put them on their shoulders and play with them. And then I get breakfast with the boys and then, and then it's off with my day. So I read every morning to get my brain going. And then I work out every single morning. And usually with, usually with some of the younger kids, which keep me young, model to them, and my boys get to see it. So it's a nice way to sure. kick off pretty much every morning. All right. That leads me to my next question. In leadership, more things are – they say more things are caught rather than taught. What do you want your two boys to catch from you? I want them – this. so this is one that I've been very blatant about, and maybe this is obvious, but I only – learned this at a CEO conference I was speaking at about a year ago. Uh, I was asked by a guy that said, how often do you tell your boys or the people you coach you're proud of them? I'm like, more than you can imagine. I never stop. He said, be careful with that. He said, be careful of always leading with that from people that you're influential with. Because pretty soon, particularly when they're young, they'll wait to hear from you to know if they should be proud of themselves. Okay. You know, your boy shows you something. Daddy, daddy, they're waiting for you. And I'm proud of you. Then they feel good. And I did this for my players now. He's like, you need to you need to empower them and teach them to be very proud of themselves without waiting for the world to tell them that. Because if you do, they're screwed because they post stuff on social media and they got 10,000 dislikes. Now they feel terrible. Who cares? What do you think? And I want my boys to grow up being very proud of what they've done without the need of the world to approve it first. And so now I, you know, my boy, you know, he's seven and four, they'll, they'll draw something and they'll, they'll show it to me, daddy, they're waiting for me. And I'll say Brooks or Taylor. I'll say, listen, you see what you just did right there. Look at the coloring. You should be very proud. That is outstanding. You you understand me, right? You need to be proud of what you've done. Yeah, daddy. Look, I'll be proud. I'm proud of you. I'm always going to be proud of you. But you need to be And I do now with my with my with my high school football players I coach. They do they do a reach block or backhand cut. I'll be hyper specific. You see right there? You see where your eyes were on that block? See how they were right on his far shoulder pad where the hands went? You see that, right? Yeah. You should be very proud of yourself. You you know that. You understand that, right? Yeah. Sure, I'm proud of you, but I'm I'm always going to be proud of you. And I've now I want to embed to our youth to not wait for the world to say you're good or bad. Yeah. You know, if you feel how, be proud of what you're doing. Know what you've done and be very proud of that. Knowing that I'll always be proud of you, but you don't need me to feel good about yourself. And I want to make sure they're very clear on that. So they're not puppets to the world waiting for likes and dislikes to know if they're happy or sad. Man, that could be one of the best things I've ever heard. You know, like that, that makes sense, but I've never, you know, because I mean, like I am proud of my kids and of course I, we are. But we live in a world where we almost have to have approval. We outsource we outsource our sense of worth to what the world tells us. And I think a lot of times as parents, we didn't realize how damaging it was to always tell our kids we're proud of them because they learned to you, you see it, right? They learn to what wonder what daddy thinks. Hold on, what is that? Okay. No doubt about it's like, it. Don't worry about it. Daddy's always proud of you. You need to be proud of yourself. And we need to teach that to them because it's going to get worse. And when they become high school kids, you know that with the way the social media, the whole world is judging them. Who cares? What do you think? 
you need to already know you're happy with your work because everyone's, you know, you wait for the world, you're, you're a puppet now. And that's a dangerous mental health issue now where you down because everyone's laughing at you. I don't care. I know what I've done. And, and as a coach and a teacher, we'd be very specific. Don't just say, you know, you should be proud. Why should I don't know why to say that? No, because see what you did here until you prove it. That is what you've done there. You, you couldn't do that a week ago. You see what you've done here. Yeah. So it's process improvement, right? You keep doing, be proud of how far you've come. Show them growth, show them, be proud of that. Mm. So they can, so they don't need the world to say you're good or bad. They know they are. That's huge. What we think of ourselves matters so much more than what other people think of us. And that is absolutely one of the hardest things to do. Outstanding. All right. Give me a couple of books that's influenced your life. You know, a couple of books that stick out. Okay. So here's one when I I didn't really become a reader until uh, like a heavy reader until my first year pro. So 20 years ago now. And the book that really changed me, I think it's called way of the peaceful warrior, Dan Millman. It's a, it's a quasi made up, it's a kind of an autobiography, but it's it's of his college years, and he meets this crazy old gas station tender who's basically like Yoda, I think. Teaches him about life and what it really means and discipline. And he was an athlete. That got me into reading. Uh, I, I got a couple of copies. I'm going to gift to my my two boys when they graduate high school. Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I I love it. Um, other than that, I, I tend to now read uh, mostly um, nonfiction. So I read a lot a lot of leadership type books. Sure. Um, Score takes care of itself. Obviously, is one of one of my all time favorites. Uh, I've read that again and again. I probably have five hundred books at home. My in my uh, so that's that's one of the best I've read in a long time. Uh, shoot, coach. I mean, what am I reading right now? Uh, I have about six books on the go. Um, I don't know all time favorites, coach. It's too hard, man. I read through yeah. them all and I take notes on all of them. Almost everything. Um, what I what I will tell you what I don't like is what annoys me is when a coach or a leader throws out a, a watered down wasteful book where it's like come on man i like the coaches that expose some some deep honesty and make yeah. you really think through stuff not the ones that just write a book because he can write a book sure. um, i was upset i was upset with jimmy johnson's last one because i thought it was a bit of an ego boost when i liked his mm-hmm. first one turning this thing around that was a good one i thought right um i love all the football coach anything from john wooden <clears throat> i'll read anything from john wooden. all of it <clears throat> again and again and again i uh, love his stuff um, you know, I like, I like Ryan holiday stuff. I read the daily dad. I read daily stoic. I, I, yep. I highlight that every morning, go through all that. Shoot. I love Jordan Peterson's Canadian. I love reading his yep. stuff and challenge you. I, I love the Jordan Peterson sure. work. Uh, I've read, uh, yeah, I don't agree with how he writes and everything. He's a bit of an arrogant guy, I think, but, uh, I don't know if you've read like the black swan and, and, and anti-fragile on those books. So he's, he's up. A quasi philosopher and finance guy, but the whole concept of anti fragile, huge book. Uh, yes. Not not sim to live. Anti fragile's concept of <clears throat> are you are you doing everything possible so you're not vulnerable to life? So you know you're basically it's the two and it's it's by by not adding, but are you removing all the variables that make you make you vulnerable? Are you yes. doing things that you don't understand the ramifications? So how simple can we keep things so you're anti fragile beyond just robust? So when things happen, you keep improving. So when life throws stuff at you, you're you're set up to not be exposed to it, be vulnerable to it. And it really think through far beyond the examples he stated to really think through how vulnerable have I set myself up to things that are beyond my control? Or am I in a place to always be gaining from it and moving forward and progressing from from life's uh, uncertainties, shall we say? It's a great book. Deep dive, really deep, really deep dive. But I mean, I'll read sports, uh, philosophy, psychology. Uh, That's where I kind of tend to live most of my life in. 
And I've, I've found that when you read a lot, that is a tougher question to answer than when people don't read a lot. If they don't read a lot, they yeah. put out a book. But if you I read don't have a- my one book because I got 500. I'm like you. Like I, I got I got hundreds loaded on my Kindle in case it's easier on a plane. I got my hard right. copies of my highlighters. I mean, that's I always yeah. have about seven on the go, too, because I'll just I, I pull one out tomorrow. And, um, you know, I, I one I only read a year uh, uh, about three months ago that I just loved was Swing Your Sword. I hadn't read that. Oh, very that. good. Beach's book is, I mean, that, if, again, it challenges you to think beyond what you thought, what you're supposed to do. Why not do this? Why not do this? I mean, yep. he, what a free thinker he was to just say, who cares that this is how we've done it? What if we tried it this way? Wow. Okay. You know, it, it freed you to take those mental chances. Yes. Swing Your Sword also set in me a uh, desire to go to Key West. I've not been yet, but because of that, I definitely am going at some point in time. All right. Last treasure. Time. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. What makes you happy? Uh, what makes me happy is uh, uh, on a on a on a purest note, seeing my two boys um, truly enjoying themselves, living. Not you know they can watch cartoons and stuff, but seeing them engaged and they're seven and four, watching them happy, engaged in doing. Because we all know that's what life is. To actually see them at a young age, love that. Because I hope that becomes a lesson that they keep, that life is doing. Find out what you love and do it. Uh, and then beyond that, now that I'm a coach, is seeing uh, young teenagers uh, realize there's something that yesterday they didn't know they were. And to see a spark hit them going, I I didn't think I could do that. that that's why I coach. To see a young person that yesterday goes, I can't do anything. And then next they show them and they go, holy cow. I'm like, yeah, wonder what else you can. wonder what else you can do. Let's find out. I love seeing people become what they didn't think they could become. I love it. I love it. I love asking that question because I have yet to get the response of, you know, when I make a million dollars or when I buy that beach house or when I, you know, that, that is not hit the answer boards yet. It is seeing my kids happy, seeing, you know, dating my wife or, you know, it's, it, it's always something about somebody else. You know what I'm saying? And human, I think, human, a human interaction type thing, right? Some sort of, no doubt, you know, no doubt. Well, Angus, man, like it has been a absolute pleasure. We'll have to do it again at some point in time because I had a page full of notes that I didn't get to, but you know, I find you to be outstanding and I hope that everybody that listens to this will share it, send it to a friend. I think, uh, some of the things we talked about in this man is applicable to all of life, you know, like the process being more important, you know, and then the scoreboard at the end of the day, whether that be in life or, you know, whether that is in sports, but thank you so much for joining us today, man. It's an absolute pleasure. If I can ever help you in any way, all you got to do is reach out. That's a promise. Love it. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out coach. It's always an honor. Oh my gosh, man. You've made us better today, man. The name of the deal is never stop getting better. And today you have made me and a lot of other people better. I promise you that. So um, until next time, adios amigos.